I, I screwed this whole intro up, but welcome to Destiny Entertainment. Uh, so glad you're joining us. I'm Chris Peterson, one third of your hosts this week, and back for a return engagement. This is rare. Miss Lynette Williams, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Back it's by wonderful. popular demand. Yeah. Yay. So Yeah. Rare, rare because we've never had a guest back to back, you know, come back for a second week in a row. And rare that uh, a woman is still talking to me after talking to me after a week. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Trust me, I had to do some some drinking and and you know meditation on it, and then I was like, no, I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> well, anyway, well, that really glad you're back uh, to join us this week, folks. You know how it works. We all bring basically our top picks of the week, top entertainment stories across the board of all medias and, and the whole nine yards uh, and talk about it. And obviously we have no idea what the other person is bringing. Lynette, you brought some really good topics last week. So I honestly cannot wait to hear what you have to say. So why don't you kick us off? What is your number one for this week? All right. So my number one this week is Jojo Rabbit. Oh my gosh. So good. Oh my um, God. You saw it. I Whoa. did. I did. Um, I am, get ready for this, I'm a member of an Oscars club where we go and try to see all of the Oscar-nominated movies, um, yes. and we Excellent. try to preemptively pick what's going to be nominated. And I'm telling you right now, this one is going to be nominated for lots and lots. And if it's not, I'm going to throw tables and riot in the streets. Wow. <laughs> all right, well, all right, Lynette, really quick, without, like, spoiling the whole movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the content seems pretty racy. Yes. Do you think that's going to hold it back as far as Oscar contention? No. Oh, I think if people, if people literally take it at the tagline, a comedy about Hitler and go and see it, they, they will understand why it needs. It's it, 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 it really was my new favorite movie. Wow. And this wow, coming, wow. this coming from a Jew. <laughs> well, I know, I know. Well, it's, it's so okay. So there was no hesitate. Was there hesitation for you going into the movie before you watched it? Um, a little bit. There was a little okay. bit of hesitation. I was like, uh, "This is not something we like to joke about." Right. Um. However, we know that that laughter can heal. Um. But then when I saw it, it was um. To, uh, God, I always mess up his first name. Uh, what's his name? The director. Taika Waititi. Ta yeah. yeah, Taika. Taika. Waititi. Yep. Right. Uh, Taika. Um, I was like, I'm in. After Thor Ragnarok, um, I was like, okay, we're going to go. We're going to do this. And I am so glad I did. I laughed. I cried. It, it was just a purely wonderful movie. Everybody needs to go see it. Absolutely ASAP. Wow. Wow, it's good that to hear. Yeah. yeah, I've heard a lot of good buzz, a lot of good buzz, and uh, you know he's a guy. I mean, we talk about people that can't really miss right now. 
you know, he's one of them. I mean, right. yeah. what we do in the shadows is absolutely brilliant. Um, then you got Thor Ragnarok. Now this, I mean, he's he was at the top. I mean, when that whole um, issue over Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn came up, everybody was like, "Well, you know, Taika bring him in to, to direct it." Um, so he's he's hot right now. That Taika, he's so hot right now. Yeah, um, and he's just you. I I just I cannot give it enough praise right now. And I, we've seen, you know, for the the Oscars Club, and admittedly they're different movies, but we saw Judy, we saw um, Ad Astra. Right. Um, I feel like we saw another one that I can't remember. So you, that was you guys memorable. saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, probably. Actually, no, I still have to see that. All right, that's a that's. I'm a I'm a <laughs> I'm a terrible I'm a terrible cinephile. Did you see Midsummer? Uh, it's on my queue. <laughs> oh. Oh All right. man, those are my picks for this year. So yeah, it's, uh, but it's, I haven't seen those other ones. Loaded. Yeah, I think so too. Like it started off really slow this year, but um, you know, Lynette, like I don't know if you're familiar, but um, and Chris, I don't know if you're familiar, but you know Jerry Lewis, the comedian, right? Yes. Um, do you know about the movie he made oh. that can never be seen? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Chris? I oh, do. Yeah. Please explain. Oh. So apparently this is like when Jerry Lewis was in his heyday, like late fifties, early sixties, like nutty professor, uh, just, you know, uh, the bellboy, everything. So like heyday, like international seller, you know, American, just box office bus, like Buster, mm-hmm. just awesome. And, um, apparently, I don't know if Chris, if, does the movie have a title? Yeah. It, it's called like the clown who cried, I think. Yes. And it's a, about a clown during the Holocaust. I need to find this movie and watch it. No, you can't. Why not? You can't. It, it, it was never released. It was never released, and they burned everything. He said he, he they were filming it. There's like re- interviews with people that were actually on set, and like that's all you can ever get. And like he knew when they were filming that it wasn't funny. So oh, like wow. he self edited. He like self said like he canceled the whole movie. Like he was going to direct it. And he, they started production, and they're on set, and he's like, I can't do it. Like, this is not possible. So wow. when you're saying that stuff about the uh, the new the new movie, that's all I'm thinking about is just such a hard subject to tackle and make it come off right. And I think that's the brilliance of, um, of his writing is that he does. He's, mm. um, he's able... It's it's almost like uh, the producers where you have that wonderful song right. that if you sing it outside springtime for Hitler, you know, <laughs> if if you're which I've done, forgive me, I have sung it outside of its context and people are like, what are you talking about? And then I have to explain the whole movie and everything else. But it's like he's he has that understanding of like Mel Brooks does of how to do it to make it work. And the other thing is, is he's he's part Jewish, too, I believe. Right. I should double check that. So yeah. I think having that background and, uh, you know, religious or traditional, um, it, it helps you to understand how to navigate that subject and hopefully lend itself to healing. And I think that's what the movie ultimately does. Oh, wow. Interesting. Crazy review. Well, and and speaking of you know comedians, I don't know if it was Mel Brooks that was on Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, um, but they were talking about I forget who the interview was with, 
But they're talking about like the the difference between people getting insulted by humor and the people laughing at humor and just buying all in. And it's when you get a sense that the person that's creating whatever it be, you know, uh, poetry, comedy, movies, novels, whatever. If you get a sense that they're intelligent and they know what they're talking about, then you can laugh. It works. Like you watch Blazing Saddles. You watch, you know, Jojo Rabbit. You see these movies and you're like, this guy knows what he's talking about. It's. And then when it flips is when you have a sense that the person has no idea what they're talking about. They're not intelligent and they're just being mean. Right. Right. And so that's got to be a fine line. I mean, we've talked multiple times about uh, the latest uh, Dave Chappelle stand up and how he danced that fine line with the LGBT uh, bit that he does. And it's just wild. So that's really good to hear, Lynette. That's a great review. Thank you. Thank you. I try. No, I don't try. I do, as Yoda says. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Good stuff. All right, Ben, hit us off, man. What do you got for your number one? That's right, Internet. I'm on the podcast, too. Chris didn't intro me, so but I'll keep going. Let's <laughs> go back. Uh, so um, I wanted to bring this subject up. This is from Joe Blow Movies Emporium News. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody producer to bring a Bee Gees biopic to the big screen. Uh, Lynette, Chris, are you a giant Bee Gees fan like I am? Uh, here's the thing. <laughs> and it's so funny you bring this up. Uh, literally, I think it was like two or three weekends ago, the wife and I sat down to watch Saturday Night Fever. Oh, and yeah. I, I, rem- I said out loud, pardon my French, I said, this is fucking good music. And <laughs> um, Yeah. <laughs> Never mind the racism in that movie, which is off the charts, by the way. Um, But, yeah, no, I I found myself just digging everything. I also heard this news, too, and I was like, oh, okay, that's that's interesting. I I don't know what's really that compelling about the Bee Gees' lives, but, yeah, I heard it. I mean, hey, I'm interested. Well, isn't there, like, drugs and brother arrival and like oh the little the poor little brother that got left behind that ended up usurping the bigger brothers or whatever right isn't andy, that how the story andy goes gibb. Yeah. Yeah. Gibb. yeah andy gibb yeah yeah chris there's a lot of drama there there is definitely stories to be had uh, and you know um dare i say more than freddie mercury and queen wow I'm just going to put that out there. I mean, there is if you can you if you youtube some documentaries about uh, robin gibb he was quite an interesting person. Really, mm. that, that, I, no spoilers about his life in the movie coming out. But um, for all you record heads out there that are listening, like Vinyl Files, uh, the best of the Bee Gees, which is pre-disco. It's like a 1968 album. It's a yellow album. Check that out. It's one of the best albums ever. Me and my friend Dan, we, we just listened to that thing over and over and over again. We got the whole thing memorized. So pre-disco Bee Gees is my fave. But like you said, Chris, Saturday Night Fever is the bomb. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people want to put down disco music and say like, oh, disco sucks. But honestly, like listen to that soundtrack and tell me that your foot isn't tapping. Tell me that you're not like charged and ready to get out there and start dancing. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the Celtics, for God's sakes, the Boston Celtics, anytime they win a game, they're playing the Bee Gees for post game. So like it gets people hyped. That's right. I- yeah. Absolutely yeah. love disco. I mean, it's it's really is a lot of fun, and like the stories they tell, it's almost country esque, like with the I lost my lover, and then he tried to kill me, and then I had to sell myself on the street, and then Gloria. No, I don't know, but uh, yeah, there's you know, 
I cannot wait for this biopic. I'm all in. My hope that is that they get a better director, better editor, because if you've ever seen any of the uh, uh, YouTube videos on the editing in the Queen biopic, it is kind of interesting that it won an Oscar for best editing, and they just show how bad it is. It's just really bizarre. <laughs> but uh, So good producers, good story. Hopefully we're all in, so I can't well, wait. The question is going to be, is it going to be like Queen or is it going to be like Rocket Man? Because that's the real, oh. that's the real question. Did you guys see Rocket Man? Oh. I have not no, seen not yet. it yet. No. <gasps> no. Oh, see? Oh, so completely different way of telling a biopic and much superior in my eyes. But I also am a musical theater nerd. So if that gives you any hint, go watch the movie Rocket Man. Well, and we've talked a lot about how that format of music biopic is getting kind of stale. You know, mm. um, I have to do like a uh, kind of redo on a like a story. I think I was... I was watching the Wu-Tang show that's on Hulu and you know, they ended the season, I believe. And I, they ended strong. It was great. I was a fan of the whole show it was week to week. So it's kind of hard to watch shows again like that, which is very weird to say. Um, but in a couple episodes, they broke my heart cause they fell into those old tropes of like, you know what? We got to get out of these streets and rise to the top. It's like, I've seen this story so many times, like just stop getting out of this like old, like used bit. I don't know. So but that is their story. So I know. <laughs> but like there's cool, but like they did something really cool in that show. They kind of went fantastical. Oh, like they okay. would show like cartoon parts and they would show like um <laughs> they would show like guys in a kung fu movie like these like Chinese guys but they're talking all ghetto slang to each other. It was really <laughs> awesome. So they would do all these like dream sequences kind of things and it, it really had my attention. Um but then they would fall into this old kind of Dewey Cox, you know, the wrong brother died kind of stuff. And I was like, uh, you know, and just, I don't know, it breaks my heart, but still a good show. I want to retract that. Like I, I was kind of down on it last time I was on the air, but the Wu-Tang show is still a good, good show. All right. But anyway, Bee Gees, rock and roll. Chris, what do you got for us? Love it. Love it. All right. Well, so I, uh, it's interesting that you're kind of bringing up, um, you know, fun stuff to watch and stuff like that. Cause this is kind of my segue into that. But, um, I started getting into, per your suggestion, Letterkenny on Hulu. <laughs> and my God, um, if I, I mean, not that I've been in a dry spell of like looking for shows that make me laugh, like till I'm crying, but like this show makes me laugh till I cry. It is that freaking funny. It is, um, it is a textbook of uh, writing, of comedy writing. Uh, it is a textbook of comedy editing, the way that they cut, you know, the the dialogue into um, the things. It is absolutely outrageous. But one thing that I really love about this show is how they kind of tackle political correctiveness in a town like Letterkenny, Ontario, where which is supposed to be. If you think about every like rural, you know, town um, out there, I mean, this is kind of it on its extreme. But they they broach subjects like you know, gay, you know, gay, gay relations and gay issues and, um, you know, racism and stuff like that. <laughs> wait, they wait, wait, wait. Gay relations as in people who are related to gays? Well, okay, I was <laughs> kind of. Gay, I, I started, <laughs> well, kind I started of. saying. Those I guys have say, like a gay friend, right? <laughs> gay, they do. Um, I meant to say like gay. I was trying to say gay relationships slash issues. And I just said relations, <laughs> but LGBTQ <laughs> themes. There you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, no, they, they broach all these topics and yet they do it in a very 
I think, authentic way because it's not like, you know, you're not getting pounded with like, you know, the wokeness lectures. It's literally people learning to come to acceptance or, you know, not being awkward around it and stuff like that. And it's it's actually really refreshing to see this type of TV. Ben, you're the one who suggested Letter Kenny to me. And also, by the way, I should mention that uh, they're actually going on tour this winter and spring uh, all throughout the country. Uh, they're coming to Albany, New York, which we should definitely try to get tickets to. But that's that's another time. Uh, ben, what are your thoughts on Letter Kenny? And on, also, Lynette, I'll get to you. Have you seen this show yet? No. Okay. Oh. So, Ben. I'm, I'm getting there. You're getting there. It's all right. You'll get so, there. So, big shout out. I went back home for um, Halloween party with my friend Nick Bussey, and he pointed this show out to me. Send me a, and I was like, yeah, you know how people make suggestions like, okay, yeah. Like, and there's so many shows out there. Right. There's so, so many mediocre shows. So you're like, you're bombarded. Oh, you do an entertainment podcast. You should check this one out. And it's just like this okay detective show. You're like, damn it. <laughs> you're just like, I don't have enough time <laughs> to get trapped into okay shows. But, and, and I was like, fine, Nick, I'll check it out. But then he, when he sent me the first two minutes of the first episode, I was laughing so hard. I must have watched it five times in a row. This show, okay, this is the way I've described it to people. And and so, Lynette, check this out. It's like a very fast-talking Napoleon Dynamite meets Clerks. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. accurate. Get all in. This show deserves to be memorized by fans. It is I've, also, it's, yeah. I was going to say, it's joyfully bingeful, too. Yeah. Like it's a show that you could just sit down and watch for three hours straight. I mean, it really oh, is. So kind of like Shit's Creek. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But I, I dare I say, like, my shit, like, much better. I, I think it's it's right. And, like, people equate it to, like, Trailer Park Boys, but this one is, I, I think it's a little smarter because of the dialogue, because of what they're doing with it. I, I, I just, like Chris said, there's so many topics that they slip in there, and the dialogue in this and, and just being an actor or being in like the theater world, I'm just picturing the um, script on the piece of paper and all of like the massive amounts of dialogue that are on this page when they're talking. And it must be a bear to memorize. Just Lynette, just check it out. High recommendation, Chris. I'm so glad you brought it up. So here's yeah, the question I mean, though. If you yeah. think you think it's all script, like scripted, you don't think that any of it's like improv? No, all scripted. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't feel improv. It, it definitely is. It's one of those shows that is very heavily um, quotable in terms of, like, you know, you can clearly hear that it's been written out on a page and it's, you know, delivered in a certain way. But, um, yeah, yeah no, it's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I, I mean, I love shows like Parks and Rec and I love shows like It's Always Sunny that are like, and uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm that are like high concept. And then they go out, have three camera shoot, and then they edit. This one, I, I feel like there might be some improv here and there, but I feel like this one is highly written out. Like the dialogue is so tight and like just very structured. So it's almost refreshing to have that structure. And my friend Dan pointed out that it is like clerks in a way that you could be sitting there for a good 30 seconds watching people talk. There's not a lot of action in this show. It is just people talking and hanging out. So that's why I equate it to clerks. And Napoleon Dynamite, the flat affect on everyone in the rural setting, it is so – I've been waiting for a show like this just to take the two 
properties that I love so much, Napoleon Dynamite and Clerks, and just smushing them together, and there's, I don't know, dude. It's just out of control. <laughs> fantastic. Awesome. And, and for the folks that want to watch it, it's if you have Hulu, uh, all six seasons are on Hulu, so you can just watch them straight through. There's seven-episode seasons, so it's not going to take you forever. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm already on season six, and I just started watching it, like, it feels like I started watching it four days ago. So. Oh, maybe I'll bang it out at work tomorrow. Oh, oh. good luck. <laughs> Yeah, good luck. You'll be laughing so hard. Lynette, the first two episodes, I've shown multiple people. I showed like like three or four people and I've watched them so many times now, like that and they're still funny. They're still they're funnier somehow. It's great. Awesome. And the fact that they're they're actually they're touring live. I sent Ben, I sent you this article. Um, that they're gonna literally do a stage show of their routines. Like I don't know, I can't even imagine how they're gonna do it. I don't know if it's them literally sitting on a set with that like food cart behind them or whatever it is um doing like scenes i'm like I, i'm giddy over and they've got the entire cast which is like crazy like that you know um that the hockey players are going to be in it like the whole family's going to be in it um it's i just can't wait shorzy is maybe the my favorite scenes in the entire show is anything that have to do with shorzy so yeah. oh my god yeah i i love I don't know. I love Wayne. I love I love everyone in the show. I love I love uh, I love Derry. I love I love Derry's super soft birthday party. I love it so much. That's a hard no. Pump the brakes on that idea and throw it through the windshield. That's a hard no. I don't uh, want a donkey in a unicorn outfit. I want a horse. Thank you and please. <laughs> Lynette, I can't wait for you to just share the show. That's gonna be fantastic. I can't wait. So. Just for the memes themselves to text to people is just. Oh, really <laughs> I've been I've been just sending the memes from the show all day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Lynette, what do you got for your number two? My number two, we're going to the music world. As we speak, I've been putting on my black eyeliner and getting really emo because it was announced that My Chemical Romance is returning for a one night show in L.A., but there's the possibility. Of new album material. Whoa. Whoa. That's huge. I know. It was amazing. And they announced it on Halloween. <laughs> now is this is, is this like is this like part of a are they doing like an entire concert or are they just doing like what Rage did at like uh, Coachella where they're just doing an appearance? So it sounds like um, according to BBC uh, BBC News, they are doing a one-time event um, in LA. I think it is a. I'm just going to find the article here. I believe it is a um, that thing that they like to do where they give money to other people. Um, oh yeah, a <laughs> charity event. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, one of those things. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so they're doing that. And then, um, let's see. Ah, da, 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 da. Yep. December 20th is the show with no, there's no information about new material. Um, but hopefully people are praying and hoping and getting ready. Um, however, the lead singer does do the music for the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. So, mm -hmm. and he just signed on to do the music for the second season so that's pretty cool as well so at least if they don't give us new music at least we have umbrella academy right now lynette i need you to explain something to me um because i am not into emo music so to speak 
Uh, I could because... I could see that. <laughs> well, yeah. it's kind of like I mean, would you? It's not straight emo. It's like hard rock emo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, for the for those of the folks who are listening that are like me, who when they hear emo music, like when I hear like the Black Parade, when I hear um, <laughs> other bands that are considered like Panic at the Disco, I I when I hear that music, I just think it's like you know, it's like it's rock music or whatever it is. Um, and then I'm corrected by obnoxious individuals that tell me, no, it's emo music. Emo. What is emo? Like, define it. Give Ooh, me some examples. Okay. Tell me everything. All right. Me personally, and this is, I mean, I don't want anybody to, like, bust me out. But if you have other opinions, feel free. To me, emo music is music where these, I would say, middle class suburban white guys are able to emote their feelings with a punk rock slash rock beat um, and really kind of rock it out. Um, And uh, it's just, it's this weird feeling. It just makes you want to bounce up and down and like shake your head, but not in a head banging way. And if you're a girl who are into boys, usually you find somebody to crush on. It's it's inevitable. Um, okay. All right. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe it. In uh, examples, Fall Out Boy is on the Verge, um, Yellow Card, uh, AFI, uh, technically Good Charlotte was in the mix there for a while. Um, obviously. Uh, yeah. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Okay. All right. I feel like, who's follow- like. Follow who's up the question. Mount Rushmore? Oh, God. Yeah. Who's the, Ra- yeah, yeah, who's like, the Mount who's Rushmore? The, who's the Mount Rushmore of emo music? Oh. Oh, that's a tough one. And you are speaking for every emo fan out there. <gasps> no, please yeah. don't make me. There's a whole new level of e-girl out there. I can't speak for all of oh, them. Oh, God. They're called e-girls? Okay, they're well. called e-girls now. I just found this out. Oh, um, going down uh, the rabbit hole. I know. Um... I would probably say the biggest one, the most commercial one, would be My Chemical Romance and Fallout Boy would probably be the two, which is why it's such a big, big news day for us because they broke up and then now they're back together. Um, and Fallout Boy announced that they're going on tour with Weezer and Green Day, so don't even get me started on that. See, this is what happens with emo. You just kind of like, ee! Um, so, Lynette, follow-up question. Yeah. Um, does emo music as you're talking uh, as you're speaking about it does it have to be from late 90s to the early 2000s or do you consider the cure or morrissey emo music oh oh my gosh i told see now personally because i'm an older person right i totally consider morrissey the smiths the cure all of that emo pretty much most of the manchester oh new order joy division all of that is like the beginnings of emo i feel like they were the the trendsetters to lead us to the emo of the late 90s, early 2000s. Now, because without and, those bands, yeah. you wouldn't have emo as we yeah. did. And then you had, uh, like, Reznor, like, last year, induct the Cure into the Hall of Fame. I mean, I know Nine Inch Nails is considered industrial, but is that somehow a segue to the newer emo? Now, that's an interesting concept. Um, I, uh, I would tend... I may actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'll go like for how it. we got to those bands, like how we got to those bands, like through the 90s. Yeah, because kind of? yeah, without Closer, yeah, right. yeah. See, Correct. what's weird is I always equated, because of my my 
silly roommate my freshman year in college listened to he was of the skater culture mm-hmm. so i heard a lot of blink 182 i heard a lot of good charlotte a lot of afi so mm-hmm. i kind of equated afi more into that like skate culture which is more i guess punk if than emo i yeah it'd be I pop punk that's pop oh, punk. I, would, I would say it's both i would say yeah. it's a mix skater culture because if you think about oh some oh some 41 how can i forget about them some 41 is that like punk culture but technically they were kind of emo though they bridged it with uh what's her name avril lavigne because you know they dated and got married and then they broke up but that's a different situation Mm. (laughs) um but yeah like i think that that group i think you you nailed it skater skater bridged on emo like i feel like the girls were more emo but the guys were skater though you could have skater girls because I'm not sexist against my own race, my own people. So well, it's like the, like the band, the Veronica's, I kind of looked at, at them as being kind of that female band that I guess was kind of like punkish. I guess. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I was, I was a freshman in college wearing khakis all day. I, I couldn't tell you, what I to. you guys knew me that you guys knew me when, so. You're um, still, I was going to say, you're still that dude wearing khakis. Yeah, weren't you wearing, wearing khakis, khakis last time I saw you, dude? I know. <laughs> it's true. I was wearing a suit, I think. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. oh man. You but had you know your funny... boating loafers on? Oh, the whole nine yards with the pennies in them, too. Uh, but yeah, no, it's... Uh, <laughs> what is a blooker? It's funny, <laughs> it's funny that... Barry Manilow. You know, with all these Broadway musicals that are coming out that are based on, you know, albums, we've got Jagged Little Pill literally coming out uh, they just started previews last night. Um, a lot of people have been saying that the Black Parade should be made into a Broadway musical. Uh, uh, I got, I got to ask you, what do you, would you be on board for something like that? Absolutely. I saw American Idiot about twice, three times. I saw it a lot, uh, and I think it made a great concept album into a musical. And that's the thing. I mean, it wasn't your traditional musical, um, but it, it it worked. It worked really well. And I think that Black Parade would make an amazing musical in that same respect. Nice. Nice. Good stuff, Lynette. Glad that you, was great. Really good education for me on, on music. This is awesome. So, um, All right, Ben, what do you got for your number two, sir? Well, I'm going to keep rocking and rolling with uh, music. Uh, we mentioned the band, but also this week, big news, uh, Rage Against the Machine are reuniting for shows in 2020. Yes. official off their Twitter. Um, so I know that Prophets of Rage toured. Um, some people that I knew saw them, and that was great. That was Be Real, Chuck D, and the guys from Rage, uh, Tom Real and the other rest of the boys. That was awesome. Um, but a band like Rage Against the Machine to come back, and right here, they haven't been really fully together since 2011 where they actually had a couple shows but really that was just a couple shows they haven't produced an album in a long time or new music uh zach de la rocha has been like out of the country on like like some sort of you know just getting out of america because of his (laughs) stances on everything so my question to you two because it is uh voting day um does this country and this world need a band like rage against the machine Absolutely. Yes. And and why? And why do what? So in your head, right? Let's say Rage came out, dropped an album tomorrow, right? What content would you want them to speak about? 
I'd want them to speak about women's rights and pay equality and reproductive rights and get your hands off my effing body. Which is funny because they're a band of all men. <laughs> yeah, but but somehow they could pull it off. You get that exactly. feeling, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, also, it's just a band that like yeah. I was gonna say, like they they do a really great job of shedding light on issues in other countries that we had no idea were going on. Like they were one of the first bands to really come out in favor of the whole Tibetan freedom movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that I had no idea. Right, them and Beastie Boys. Them right. and Beastie Boys. I mean, that was all. And then like De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest got on board with it too. And like. Yep. That was how I got. That's how I found out about that issue to begin with. So, um, yeah, that, that that would be something that I would want to hear too. Is that, you know, basically them shedding light on other stuff as well. Yeah, I think you know, music. We just had this giant discussion about, you know, music genre, and I I feel like music doesn't get produced and doesn't have as much of an impact as it does as it did back in the day, because there's less artists coming out. Um, and it's just hard. There's so many sources to get your music. Um, you know, I've spoke about BBC Six because it's, it's the greatest thing known to man. Um, but that's one of the billions of outlets on the internet to get your music. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like they should just put out an album or a so like a tr- even if they just put out a single that was just so hyper political. Um, I don't know. One of my favorite things ever was. You know, Tom Murillo, like when he was touring with Prophets of Rage a couple of years ago, he'd be up there doing his Tom Murillo thing on the guitar. He'd flip up the back of the guitar and on the back of the car written upside down. So when he flipped the guitar up, it was written right side up. It said, fuck Trump. And the whole crowd went nuts. (laughs) So I just want them to get back into the mix, get back together and writing and stuff. Um, They're one of those weird bands that came out with like, I think they have five albums total and then they broke up. You know what I mean? And there was multiple issues, uh, rumors and stuff. They're kind of like System of a Down was like that too. That was just kind of like a hyper loud political band that is still touring on the strength of three or four albums. So it's so interesting. Um, And and they have – there's multiple YouTube videos and multiple articles about their breakup too. So I just want them back together and fighting the system and just doing what my 14 year old self inside me wants them to do. So I have a question for you. Yeah. This is, this is an interesting concept for me because whereas my heart as a 42 year old female really wants rage to come out and like, just spew it to the man and tell us everything we need to know about all of the injustices going on around the world. How do you think they will be um, received by younger generations? Well, I I think that's going to be a tough. That's a great question because, man, I, I I'm going to say something that's crazy. Uh, you know, uh, do people of a younger generation listen to music the way that we do, or older generations like our parents did? Like when you hear a song or a protest song, does it get you like fired up? Does that even translate right. to their heads anymore? <laughs> I think it depends on the avenue. I think um, the one thing that I've heard at work, and I work with a lot of younger people, is like Lizzo is really resonating with them in her female empowerment movement, um, partially because she has a happy way of saying it. Um, she's got those catchy beats and tunes and she says what she wants to say. And so, uh, the younger, the younger people at work are really listening 
to her. Whereas with rage, we know that rage is rage. Like it's in their name. (laughs) So I wonder if that sensibility will be lost on them or do we think that the militant, uh, the militant people of America would pick up to them and maybe learn something new and change their minds. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember like back in the nineties, I don't care where you were from. I mean, I was like Connecticut white suburban kid and here's rage talking about uh wounded knee and uh, had these crazy songs like freedom and all these, uh, this crazy dialogue going across the screen. And I, my head like awoken Mm -hmm. to like all these things that were not even close to my culture and my background whatsoever and got me feeling angry. (laughs) Like got me feeling fucking pissed about (laughs) stuff that I had no right to be angry about. Um, And there's only been a couple artists in my life that are like that, that in my upbringing, my culture, like I have no right to be angry about what they're singing about, but it gets me super pissed and gets me fired up. makes me want to, Grab a protest sign and change the world, like kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, And pump up the volume and all that shit. Uh, (laughs) But I I don't know, Lynn. Are you saying that are are they too hard? I that's what I'm wondering. I I don't want to presume that because I I don't like underestimating other people. And if we have younger listeners, it would be interesting if they commented and let us know. But um, yeah, I I just I would be intrigued to wonder if they might be too hard for this new generation or younger ears. I think they would have the same. Yeah. I think they would have the same impact that they had back in like 98, 99 when I first heard them. I mean, um, I remember, you know, hearing killing in the name of, and I'd never heard anything like that before. I was like, what is this? Oh my God. And then I just kind of sucked down the message and everything like that. And I think because there's not really an artist out there like that right now, music like what Rage does would just kick people in the face and be like, oh, my God. Like, it would really, I mean, to quote one of their songs, I mean, it would really wake them up. I mean, and, um, you know, I mean, if you think about some of the more, quote unquote, messagey, you know, songs, I mean, the last more most impactful thing I can think of beyond Lizzo is that that Taylor Swift song, which was all about kind of accepting gay rights and things like that. And if you listen to that song and you compare it to Rage Against the Machine, there's no comparison. I mean, it's a very, it's a good, it's a positive message, don't get me wrong, but it's delivered in a very, you know, poppy way as opposed to Rage just literally blowing the doors off. And I think that this generation being, I think, 21 years and younger of like 18 to 24 year old, like voting rights, so to speak, um, would, I think, you know, they they need it. They could use they could use a dose of rage if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Hell to yeah, me. hell yeah. H- however, yeah, I have no clue know, what Taylor Swift song you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that, I don't know that, that one either. Con- it's that like uh oh, calm down song. I don't know. Just look up Taylor <laughs> wow, Swift. You'll, yeah, I, I I don't want to sing it on this podcast. Let me write let me write the ship a little. I, I was thinking "All Right" by Kendrick Lamar because that was taken <laughs> up by the Black Lives Matter movement, True. but. Uh, but Taylor Swift is a good example too, Chris. That's well, I think actually, you know what? <laughs> Don't you worry. Don't you worry, Ben. I got another topic that's going to paint you into a corner. But no. Um, <laughs> uh, Let's get to uh, it. But yeah, no, I think I think actually to your point though, Ben. I think yeah, Kendrick Lamar I think is one of those artists. But at the same time, sadly, I think he doesn't have nearly the reach that Taylor Swift does. Uh, um, that 
I think could use a kick in the ass if that makes sense. I no, like, I agree like, with that. Kendrick, I agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I think that that's I think it's awesome uh, that any, any any like this is gonna sound okay. I'm gonna say something a little controversial. I don't know if this is you know, uh, hot, hot take. Hot take. <laughs> I think there are bands in history, and I can think of three off the top of my head that everything was perfect about them and therefore they could not last for a long time like they had to end when they did and rage is one of them um the beatles is another and this is gonna sound weird but guns and roses is my third like i absolutely concur yeah like, that's pretty like good you're talking about three bands that there is no low point in my mind um and because i think of that perfection and because they're so freaking good they can't do like a Rolling Stones run and be together for 50 plus years. Like you gotta, it's the, the, the six or seven years that they were together, perfection. And that's it. That's all we get sometimes. Wow. What would be my three picks? I don't know. Uh, like I was thinking like Buffalo Springfield or Crosby, Stills and Ooh. Nash. Or yeah. Um, yeah. probably Crosby, Stills and Nash. You know what I mean? Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Just the, like. Crazy harmonies, crazy dialogue, too many drugs going on, <laughs> or not dialogue, but crazy harmonies, words, everything. Uh, the Miles Davis Quintet would be the other one, and then uh, probably the Beastie Boys. There's no low point for me that just couldn't last forever. Yeah. Lynette, what would be your three? Forever. Don't don't ask me. Don't ask me to choose. Please don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would agree. I would concur. I'm gonna I'm gonna cop out. I would concur with the Beatles. I think the Beatles were literally sent by divine intervention and were meant to have their place in this world. Whether you like them or not, without them, we would not be in the musical world we are today. Um, yeah, yeah, like I, them or not, I, I don't hang out with the people with the are nots. That's insane. <laughs> right. Honestly, I, I, this is going to sound really sad. The Beastie Boys, I, I, as much as... They, I mean, they put out a lot of albums and then we lost, um, oh God, I'm so terrible with names. MCA? Yeah. And it's like, okay. And then, uh, okay, I'm going to throw this in. This is a little snarky. TLC. TLC Ooh. was. Ooh, good pick. Yeah. They, they did, they did what they needed to do. They got it done. And I think with the loss of Left Eye, it was, it was the right time as much as it saddens me to lose her because she was starting to get her own shining star. I think, I think that was, I think that was meant to be. Nice selection. Good selection. There. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Ben. All right. Awesome. 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 All right. So for my number two, um, Ben, I'm going to paint you into a little bit of a <laughs> corner here. Sorry. A Taylor Swift corner. What do you it's got? A Swift corner. Um, Is it going to be red? <laughs> so, uh, so the Anyone? movie uh, Harriet came out. I don't know. You've seen this movie trailer, but it's about the period of time in Harriet Tubman's life. It's actually the first major biopic I think we've gotten about Harriet Tubman. So yes, awesome. With two major Broadway stars in it. Two. Okay, so here's the deal. Okay, um, so couple couple issues with this movie. Um, first of all, uh, it is actually now starting to get some backlash. Interestingly enough, I've been reading about this today. Uh, that apparently, I haven't seen the movie yet. I really don't know the details, but apparently um, a lot of people are saying it perpetuates uh, white uh, savior uh, kind of oh, no. tropes. So oh, no. Where 
the only reason, I, apparently from what I've read, like they make it sound like Harry Tubman became Harry Tubman because of help from, from white people. And uh, a lot of people are obviously upset about that. Uh, I honestly could not tell you a lot about Harry Tubman's life to say whether that is actually white you know, saviorness, I guess, or if that's just accurately what happened and she did actually was aided by you know, white people and abolitionists and things like that. Um, but nevertheless, um, this is the umpteenth time we've seen this, this trope come up, this complaint come up about um, white savior themes and things like that. And um, Lynette, I just wanted to start with you because you're also somewhat a person of color. Um, only you, somewhat. No. Only somewhat. I'm only somewhat. I'm only somewhat a person of color. Somewhat. <laughs> Good mix. I mean, put it this way. You're, you're more of a mix than Ben. So that's the I'll start there. <laughs> he is my I white have a savior. color. No, wait. wait. Yeah, I, I have a color. It's white. It's fine. <laughs> um, Lynette, let me ask you. are more of you, a peachy. Peachy. There oh, you go. Thank a you. peachy. There you go. Um, Lynette, when you, when you start to see there are you know, movies that do have this, like, this white savior kind of trope about them. I mean, is it something that you, I guess, does it anger you? Do you not care? I mean, how do you feel about this whole thing? I think it depends on the movie. And I also think it depends on how it's, how it's being said. So like last year, uh, you know, with the Oscars, Black Klansman was up, written and directed by Spike Lee, uh, based on, a true story. And then you had the green book, uh, which was, uh, Mahershala Ali and Viggo Morganson and watching the two movies, um, both dealing with interracial relationships between white men and black men, um, in different eras and different things. And, um, the, uh, black Klansman, I felt, was perfect in the way that it represented the race relations um, and how it would have been for that uh, time frame, which was like the late seventies in Colorado um, and how blacks and whites would have worked together um, to, to do something in dealing with race. And then you had the green book and the green book totally was a white savior movie. And it did upset me. However, I was able to separate that to say I still enjoyed the movie. It didn't it didn't change my feeling on the movie as a whole. However, uh-huh. I I mean, we're working with an in, a very a, a more intellectually sound black man than the white man and yet somehow the white man saves the black man. Um that was a little unsettling. It could have been written slightly differently, I think. And that's that's where like collaboration comes in and awareness. Uh-huh. Yep. As for Harriet Tubman, my initial reaction when you said that was, well, she did work with white people. She had to work with white people. Right. There's no way that an underground railroad person could not have worked with white people to be as successful and make as many runs as she did. There's no way. Now, that being said, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how it's interpreted yet. I don't oh. know if it's more of that white savior or if it's just, no, she worked with white people. It was a necessary, it was a means to the end. Yeah, yeah. Ben, what do you think about the white savior tropes? 
Well, let me uh, save this podcast. Oh, this is a terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, well, it, it, we've seen that a lot where in movies, it's hard to, like Lynette said, it, it's hard to imagine that uh, Harriet Tubman didn't work hand in hand with uh, white people because you would have to be hidden in that time period up going up to the north in Canada. I mean, that thing ran all the way up through here. Oh. Um, so, you know, it's so unfortunate because we've seen these hackneyed kind of tropes in Oscar movies like Driving Miss Daisy or something like that, where when an actual movie comes out and white and black people work together in this true story, <laughs> it reminds you of these old school Oscar movie tropes, you know, from back in the day. And it's so unfortunate. Um, just like um, like in The Green Book and all these movies where you're just uh, – you have to kind of separate yourself because I heard that The Green Book was written by someone that actually lived it too. Is that true? I would have to uh, – It was. I think it was written by the guy's son. Yeah. Right. Guy, like, like so it is – His son wrote it, yeah. Well, it's kind of based on the real story that actually happened. So, right, um, right. so that, that's hard to gauge as well. Um, but you know what, like, and, and black Klansmen, not as far as race, race relations goes, but I had problems with that movie as far as pacing and, um, plot development and, and kind of scripting kind of, I had like issues with that movie. Like, like when I, I try to take a step, step back from movies when I'm watching and I try not to get too emotional, like when I'm trying to review a movie, but I, I don't know, Lynette, I know what you're saying. Like when you try to watch a movie and you try to distance yourself from, your feelings on the topic, but you're just trying to watch it objectively. That's tough too. Right. It's like Selma, my friends, my friends and I like to discuss Selma going to see Selma. And it was right. a movie. We went to go see it on Martin Luther King day, which, you know, and I'm sitting in between two white women and here's me. And all of a sudden I am crying uncontrollably as if I was at my mother's funeral, like <laughs> ugly crying. And my friends like, and they don't see me cry that often. And they're like, what is wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm black. And I just started like, I could not separate myself from that movie. Now, that being said, I was aware that it was not, yes, I was glad it was nominated for an Oscar. However, I knew that it wasn't going to win because there were issues with it, technically speaking, and things like that. So, but it got me a visceral connection. and And that is hard. And I think... We're in a day and age now where I think people are relying so heavily on those first initial visceral connections or or thoughts that they can't take that step back because of the environments, the outside environments, such as political, local things that are happening. And that's a completely different podcast for a different time, but I think that's part of this. This is white saviorism again, kind of situation. Right. Yeah. In Good that stuff. movie. Yeah. In, the, in that same year, you had, um, I believe, the Black Panther come out, the first Black Panther movie come out, and a far superior, superior film that right. dealt with race in a different way, but a far better movie. <laughs> so when you were watching that movie, I'm freaking everyone got fired up during that movie. That was great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hard thing, and and they only come across once in a generation a movie that actually speaks to 
your emotions and is actually quality. You know, whether it be like the color purple or or something that it de- deals with like or like Schindler's List that deals with something so awful and crazy, but it's an actual quality film. It's hard to balance those things. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, and you know, it makes it. So the second thing about Harriet, um, which I had to bring up because Lynette, you know, you know, Cynthia Revo, or know of Cynthia. Love um, so here's the thing. So I, as a, as a theater blogger, uh, doing this for now almost six years, uh, I have come into contact with a lot of people. I've met a lot of people, people that have been my idols, people that have gone on to do some amazing things. And I would say 99.9% of the people I've met have been amazing people, like the salt of the earth, everything you could wish that they would hope for, except for Cynthia Reeves. No! Um, <laughs> I'll just drop the bomb. Um, I have had uh, terrible, terrible experiences uh, with Cynthia. Um, we've we've interacted interacted a couple times uh, at various events. We've we've kind of sparred on Twitter a couple of times. I don't Whoa. think if yeah, I don't think if you said to Cynthia like, "Oh, Chris Peterson doesn't like you," I don't think she'd know who I was, like by name. But I think if you said that guy from On Stage Blog, she'd probably say she'd probably not say nice things about me. Um, what? What? What did yeah. you do to my Cynthia? <laughs> oh, I know this chick. Yeah, I just looked her up. Okay. <laughs> so okay, so the first the first thing was we um, when she was for her her Tony nominated run. Yeah. Um, for the color purple, which I uh, saw, which she saw, which she ended up winning. Um, I, I met, I, I, up to that run, I attended all like the pre galas, the luncheons where you get to meet the nominees. And mm-hmm. what's nice about these luncheons is you literally are standing in a room and you can just go walk up to a person and talk to them and, and introduce yourself as, you know, a writer, a journalist. So, mm-hmm. um, and that same year, by the way, that was Hamilton's year. So like Hamilton was right. dominating everything. Um, and, um, I walked into this room and I talked to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I talked to Leslie Odom Jr. I you talked him. to, you Renee, I know, I mean, but these people were amazing to talk to. Like you could walk up to Lynn and say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm from Onstage blog. Congratulations. I just had a couple questions and he's like, awesome. What can I answer for you? Cynthia Revo acted like she could not be bothered to talk to anybody and it had do you think the, it was nervousness i it you know what it, i'll put it this way if it was nervousness that's not the um attitude she was kind of going oh. off i mean she kind of she kind of put herself in the corner of a room she kind of had like her her little mini entourage around her the entire time um and you know there are folks in that room that are more uh, well-known writers, obviously, than I am for writing for much more prolific publications, and she wouldn't give anybody the time of day. Uh, well, except, excuse well, me, Chris, Chris, it, hold because on. she's Chris. British. Yeah, well, Chris, and also, I mean, it could have been your manliness or machismo. <laughs> I mean, it could have been. I mean, I mean, <laughs> have you, know, you seen her giant guns? Posing man. <laughs> I know. Have, with my, have you with seen my her guns? She would take them in a second. <laughs> so, in response to her behavior at that event. Um, I wrote some, I didn't write some nice things about her um, the night that she won. I basically, when she won a Tony, I put out a tweet saying congratulations to Cynthia Revo for being the second best person to play this award, uh, to play this role, uh, and, and riding LaShawn's bootstraps 
to your first Tony Award. <laughs> I no, mean, she hates you. Oh my God, I would hate. I you. went after her, and she she's uh, I don't I don't sadly I don't have it saved, but uh, she wrote me a DM on Twitter that basically was not nice uh, as at it all, be. as it shouldn't be. Um, and then just like for the like since then, um, like I. I've just had run-ins with her. I, I, I literally like have said um, like anytime she like puts out statements that are, I think a little ridiculous on Twitter, uh, a little overly woke, so to speak, I'll sometimes respond with eye rolls and things like that. And, um, and, and, and I think one time she responded, cause like, by the way, Cynthia Revo, at least up until like last year, I think, because before she got this movie, um, she was the type of person on Twitter where if you went at her, she would come right back at you. So like, she's not going to ignore things like So if you actually criticized her, she would she would respond in kind. And um, so yeah, I, I would respond like with eye rolling emojis and stuff like that. And so we've just gone back and forth. So yeah, if you if you said to Cynthia like, oh, that guy from Onstage Vlog, she'd probably be like, fuck that guy. <laughs> you probably wouldn't know my name. So next time I see her, I'll probably. Introduce myself from a different publication or something like that. <laughs> See, I have right. a complete... Wait, I, real quick. Leslie Odom... Uh... Salt of the Earth. No! I did not have that experience with him. Really? Yes! Oh I my gosh. Him, I met him after Hamilton, and I wanted to let him know that I really enjoyed his work. I said, thank you for Hamilton, and I said... Um, you know, it was exceptional to see you. And I said, I just really want to say that I really actually enjoyed your character in Smash. Oh, God, you brought up Smash. That's, I, that's where you went wrong. Well, see, that's <laughs> the thing is I actually did. He was, to me, for me, he was the best part of that show. You're and right. he and, and that was something I wanted to let him know. And he was just like, hmm. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, I was ready to fight him <laughs> on the street. If he didn't have a second show, I would have taken him. But that was my situation. But I had, but I'm also coming from the stage door fan. I haven't had a professional interaction with them. Mm. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing people sometimes remember. I, I try to keep my opinions about performers kind of candid on Facebook because I'm friends with a lot of the, like, you know, friends of friends with these people, but like, you know, and there are, there are actors that I have really negative um, interactions with. And I just try to, you know, remind people that, you know, because of who I am, I tend to see people in a different light and, um, or different, you know, they, they, they tend to, um, you know, interact with me differently than they would a fan. And um, sometimes it's not the most positive interaction, but yeah, that's, it's rare. It's rare. I got a couple things to say. Oh, God. All right. Uh, one, overly woke. You should coin that term. That's really good. And then two, <laughs> uh, Lynette, follow-up for Harriet Tubman. Uh, I believe you bought a comic book called Harriet Tubman Zombie Killer? No, Demon Slayer. Demon Slayer. Yeah. Uh, first of all, how is the comic? Second of all, did you get the author's number and get with him? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have his Venmo account name, um, mm-hmm. but I did not get his number nor got with him. Because he was a geeky, attractive black man. I know, oh, man. Wow. I miss that. But I, um, I won't say that on this podcast. However, um, <laughs> let's well, see. I will. <laughs> I was getting some feels in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. 
<laughs> I love but, it. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but I have not actually started reading it yet. I really need to. I have a stack of comic books and I just keep adding to them instead of actually sitting down to read them. You know what? That's what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to read my comic books. That's a brilliant That's concept, though. And you said it to the author, too. The Harriet Tubman uh, Demon Slayer, just like the Abraham Lincoln Vampire oh, Hunter. Vampire Hunter. It was just like such a great concept. They're just sitting right there. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Played by another Broadway favorite, Benjamin Walker. But Freaking I digress. Yes. So. There you go. There you aren't, go. Aren't we supposed um, to talk about right. a couple more things? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, gosh, whose turn is it? I just went. So, I think it's Lynette's. It's Lynette's yeah. uh, number three. Yeah. Number three. I, what do you got? So my number three is actually taking place right now in my living room. Oh. Uh, it is the live Disney little mermaid i was i was gonna see what your feelings were did you think that um you know tv musicals are are over what was the thing however watching this i'm really enjoying the format and leave it to disney to blow every other network out of the effing water because <laughs> they have <laughs> so the yeah. format yeah, the format for this is a little different. They're broadcasting the actual animated classic for the 30th anniversary, along with entering in some of the stage songs from the musical. Um, and so they're cutting back and forth from live performances to the animated feature, and they're killing it. I mean, it's amazing. It's flawless. It's obviously well-rehearsed. Um, they... They knew what they wanted. They had a clear vision. Um, mind you, it's been on mute for most of the time, so I'm not sure how it sounds. <laughs> but at least visually, it's stunning. So what do you guys think? Uh, should we look to Disney to think about future TV musicals, or is it over? You know, I, I thought that actually um, Fox with the live Grease did great a couple of years ago. I thought that was phenomenal. And you know me, I'm not a musical guy at all. I thought that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. So I think there is room for uh, network live musicals, definitely. Just as long as they don't yeah, do it like I mean, Rent. Oh, yeah, right. that hurt. Yeah, that hurt. Yeah, that was, that was bad. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm, you're talking to a guy that, you know, one of the reasons I got into theater was I saw Mary Martin's Peter Pan back in the day. I saw a rebroadcast of that. So, I remember that, yeah. You know, like, you know it's, it's, it's something that... The ripple effect, sometimes no matter how good or bad it is, um, is always going to be positive because it's going to get you know a younger generation inspired to do theater. Now, at the same time, I also want it to be good, so I don't want it. To, I want it to be more Jesus Christ Superstar, not yes. you know, Rent. Um, so, <laughs> um, but these are these are mammoth productions. I, I, I have yet to meet someone who hates the the idea entirely. Um, I think, you know, the, the cynical people in, in theater communities tend to judge these things a little harshly, but I, I have yet to see someone that says this is a terrible idea, they should stop. True, true. Um, my, only, my only consideration, and it seems like, Disney, well, Disney has their whole uh, marketing inner, inner sanctuary setup thing. Um, my only thing was, is it seemed like for a while, the other networks, NBC, Fox, were trying so hard to leave it West Coast versus East Coast, where it seemed like they were um, getting, uh, like they weren't coming to Broadway and asking the Broadway people how to do it or looking for help or anything like that. And so it was very much, they were like, this is TV, we want to do it our way. Um, 
and so there was issues, I think. Um, and uh, though I could be wrong, I do think that The Wiz was one of the ones that they did that they did incorporate a lot of Broadway talent um, behind the scenes, like producers and things. And that showed. And I think that was another really well done live show. Um, But I think you're right. Uh, I think keeping going is good. And I'm hoping that this live mermaid will reinvigorate the, the grouping and the fold and we'll see some really good ones coming up soon. Good stuff. Good stuff. I agree 100%. So, um, Ben, what's your number three, my man? All right, my number three um, has to do with the MCU. Um, Ant-Man 3 theory could lead to an MCU debut of the Fantastic Four. Um, So, Fantastic Four has been under the grasp of Fox and recently uh, finally purchased by Disney or given the rights to use them or whatever the hell is going on. And Spider-Man was bought back. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, to Disney, but check out this uh, theory. I'm going to read this. <clears throat> I'm going to read this crazy <laughs> MCU theory in my nerd voice. Uh, the Quantum City we saw in Ant-Man and the Wasp play a key role in the introduction of the Fantastic Four in the Kang City. Kang the City, I believe, is the Chronopolis city of Kang the Conqueror. My theory is that the Fantastic Four were stuck in the Quantum Realm during the 1960s when they visited the realm for the first time. They got their superpowers in the end zone, a more dangerous part of the quantum realm that had the race of rulers of the negative zone and Annihilus and Ballastar. But they got stuck there in the process. I believe it wasn't an accident, but a planned act of Kang who wants Reed Richards for his own selfish reason, since Richards Reed Richards is a great great grandfather of Nathaniel Richards, a.k.a. Kang. I think at the end of Ant-Man 3, Scott or Janet, who knows the Quantum City, visits Chronopolis and free the members of the Fantastic Four to bring them to the real world. Jeez. Ben, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> so, my <laughs> I just wanted to read that. My question for you guys is Fantastic Four. It's We've seen many incarnations of it, of course, in the comic books, of course, in cartoons, and of course... In movies that have been okay mm. and bad. Okay mm. to bad. Very bad. If you guys slug through that last one. Wow. Oh, God, yeah. Very bad. Good cast, extremely bad. Um, So, my questions to you, and is Fantastic Four developed out of this kind of nuclear family? We're all kind of, uh, you know, mid-60s. You know, we're all different, but we can all get along kind of thing. And in this day and age, the family unit doesn't look like that. Does the Fantastic Four have any relevance in today's day and age? And can it work in the MCU? Go ahead. Oof. Wow. Lynette, why don't you take a crack first at this? Why do you keep throwing me under the bus first? <laughs> I know, right? Ladies first? Is that how ladies, it goes? Ladies first? To quote right. Queen Latifah. Mm. Ladies first. There or are, you excited, are you excited about the Fantastic Four at all? I'm never excited about the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the way that they formulate their family still does hold a place um, in this world. However, I think they can think outside of um, the... I mean, well, if you think about it, they already did kind of think outside of the box for even ho- however horrible it was. Because um, wasn't Stu- Sue Storm was still related? She was adopted into um, the Human Torches family, right? 
Right, the, something like that, yeah. So, like, which one, that premise alone was huge for me because I was like, yes, it's showing African-American families, one, that are socioeconomically stable, two, that are willing to take in um, family um, or people of other ethnicities, you know, as needed. And three, I was just like, it blows it off the handle about like what what brother and sister actually has to be. That is probably the only good thing to come out of that movie. Um, so I think there's opportunity there to maybe expand to gay rights, to span expand to transgenderism. Ism, is that a thing? No, just in, involving trans characters. I, I think because now we have what it means to be a human in this day and age has gotten so um it's such a large spectrum now i think there's still a place for the fantastic for family dynamic to hold true and i think that a lot of the core base issues that they deal with are still resonant in today's society now their actual storylines meh <laughs> so i i would depend on how they do it um it would depend on the action i'm more excited i i'm honestly would be more excited to see x-men come into the fold yeah. um than fantastic four totally you know it's i think you bring up a good point and i think beyond that um i think this is gonna sound silly but i think fantastic four is like the moby dick of comic book movies where <laughs> it's like can you get it right can you actually land the ship and and do it in a way where you're talking about characters that in essence are very campy and and do a movie that kind of embraces that but at the same time you know actually takes itself seriously and and i think the problem that we've gotten um with the the two incarnations is you went you know way too far in one direction and then you went you overcorrected the other way so um and i think you know the, the, the perfect medium is the incredibles i mean that's that if you want a family of superheroes right there's the perfect movie there but um i i think i don't i don't i won't be surprised if disney and marvel really go after the fantastic four just to kind of spike the football in a way saying that like yeah look we did it right <laughs> you know type of thing it's a challenge and um I think if they if they obviously do a great job, then we all win. And if they fail, then it, I think it just will say that this is just a property that should never hit the silver screen ever again. But that's it. Yeah, it's a it's a tough. Yeah, there was no right or wrong to that one. It's just a tough kind of question to pose. And Marvel has gotten everything in my mind, everything right, even with like the little faults that I find in some of the properties, like. You know, my knit, it's picking nits. You know what I mean? My things about Captain Marvel. You know what I mean? How the fight scenes are too dark. That's way nitpicky than anyone should ever be. But it, but it's because I love all of like the 24 movies that we got around, 23 movies. So I don't know. That would be a tough property to tackle. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Um, so for, for my number three uh, this week, it's, um, how do I put this? It's a little bit of a rant. Um, against stupid people. And, oh, nice. oh, rant so, time. We're going to rant, rant time? Little rant time. Little rant right. time. Um, we'll grind my gears. Um, 
So I, what I don't do on Facebook, I try not to argue with people on Facebook. Like if I'm scrolling through my feed and I see something that I disagree with or that I'm like, ugh, how could that person be saying that and blah, blah, blah. I, it, my my uh, um, opposition is to not respond. That's, that's what I do. I don't, I don't start fights on Facebook. Um, and with that, I prefer that people not try to start fights with me on Facebook. So when I put out an opinion about something uh, and stuff like that, um, I, nothing, nothing annoys me more than that one person that just has to kind of interject their thoughts into something. So I, I, here's a good example. So I posted something the other day that it really had nothing to do with it, politics or anything like that. I think it was actually, I was sharing a article about, um, uh, that was about a blog that was written about, Gosh, I can't even remember what it was, but it was just something like it was just very mundane. And this one person on Facebook and this person I'm, I'm acquaintances with um, is kind of known to me as the person that is always going to be that person to say something on my Facebook status. Like, mm. like I could I could come out and say the sky is blue and this person without fail would be, well, actually, it's a hint of, you know purple mixed with red and it's like (laughs) i could put up i could put up a status saying like look isn't my kid the cutest kid ever and this person would say now how could you possibly say that that i mean (laughs) your kid is cute but who's documenting these things and so like (laughs) (laughs) it's impossible to gauge right and you're just like and the person the person is also known to say things like um, I, you know, I just, I can't help myself sometimes and blah, blah, this is just who I am and blah, blah, blah. And I've also seen other people who have blamed their dickiness on Facebook as a form of mental illness or defect or learning disabilities and saying, that's just, I have no filter sometimes on social media and blah, blah, blah. Look, here's the thing. Um, no one like, if you're, if you're one of these people that just has to say something on someone's status, um, nobody likes you. Like nobody likes you, and I hope I hope everybody who's, who does this is listening to this podcast and will wake up to the fact that nobody enjoys being associated with that person. That just has to, you know, read the room, read the room before you make a status, uh, before you post a comment. Um, and I just I can't stand these people. So if if anybody's listening out there, just be. Just censor your just censor yourself before before you hit enter. You post something on Facebook or respond to something. Just think for five seconds. Like what is what are the ramifications of me saying what I'm about to say? And well, actually, Chris, I think the correct response. <laughs> See, there you go. You, I mean, I here's my thing about that. I agree with you. I don't want stupidity on my Facebook. However, I do like to learn, and I am aware that other people have different different opinions so i think if people are able to do that tactfully i'm okay with it but i if you're if you're being ridiculous or obtuse i'm out you know what i'm glad you brought that up because um i i learned a very good lesson when i was in i think it was my first year at at elmira elmira college um i i made an inappropriate comment about someone's appearance and this person who I made the comment, well, I didn't make the comment about this person, but the person that heard it said, Chris, you need to learn some fucking tact before you say things. Um, and that comment, uh, if I'm going to use a 21st century term, shook me to the core. 
and uh, really, I mean, literally has impacted the way I say things now from from here on out. And I, I want to credit Erica Voisin or Erica. Um, I'm forgetting her married name now. Oh my gosh! Newton. So she, she, Newton, thank you um, for for correcting me at the time because and I'm sure you can probably hear in Erica's voice. Chris learned some fucking tact. <laughs> so <laughs> um, if you want to quote you, uh, the movie Scream, it's uh, tact, you fuck rag. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's I mean, so it took it took someone to say that to me to 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 really learn how to censor myself and things like that. And I just I just wish people would be smarter. <laughs> that's it. I just, well, not I just everybody can't. Everybody had an Erica, Erica Vazine Newton in their lives yeah. to be able to obviously look at our president. I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> I will do it again. There you go. There you go. So <laughs> I'll, have to tell Eric, I'll have to tell Erica that she's gotten a shout out on this podcast. But yeah. Um, Wait, who's, yeah, no. who's, who are you talking about? <laughs> who's I talking about? Just kidding. Uh, the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have to correct you a couple times, Chris. Uh, you guys were very nice in there. Uh, let me steer the ship again. There's people out there that have different opinion, opinions, but those people are wrong. Then, <laughs> so they're always wrong. So never. They're wrong. Always wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're sure. Is this the white savior talking now? Yeah, I, I righted the ship. <laughs> you the I ship. am Ahab. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, well, folks, let's go YouTube it with that. Yeah, baby. Let's go YouTube it, Lynette. What do you got for YouTube in this week? Uh, I suggest everybody YouTube the new Star Wars trailer uh, before oh, Jojo no. Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Um, before Jojo Rabbit, they played it. I audibly, <laughs> audibly reacted <laughs> to the preview. <laughs> Was the only one in the theater. People turned and looked at me and goes, wow, you're really a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was, there is, it's, it's all in the last, last seconds that I just lost it. I lost my crap. I am ready for this movie. It's going to be phenomenal. If it disappoints me, I don't know what I'm going to do. I really don't. That's how, like, the, the trailer just got me. I'm in. I'm in 110%. Maybe even wow. 150. You, you've thrown gasoline onto a fire on this podcast. Those are... <laughs> Those are like those are almost like fighting words. Uh, <laughs> let's podcast. Ben, ben and I are ready to uh, Donnie Book as uh, as yeah. Letter Kenny would say. Looking for a Donnie Book, boys. <laughs> looking for a Donnie Brook. I don't know what that means yet. No, I don't know what it means either. But it's from Letter Kenny. Uh, well, uh, let me put it this way: uh, if Lynette, I, and this is no fault of your own, um, Ben and I have not exactly been high. On, on the new on the new Star Wars, um, mm-hmm. and our, our hopes are very, um, I guess you could say, low to non-existent. If that's saying, that's probably that's the right accurate. way to go into it. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: I, I I actually hated that trailer, the final trailer <laughs> for Star Wars. Yeah, um, and I'll tell you why: because I felt like it was them saying like trying to do everything to apologize for. The Last Jedi by by manipulating us emotionally. And mm-hmm. like that C3PO quote, looking back at it, I'm like, that's just to get a, our heartstrings. Then you you include that hug with Leia for like the 80th time that we've seen in the trailer to get our heartstrings. Yeah. You, you get that sweeping score. They're riding that those horse creatures again. By the way, for a Star Wars movie, 
I don't think any of the trailer took place in space, by the way. See, this is, and I guess this is the difference between you and I is I, yeah, I knew that all that stuff was heartstrings. I wasn't focused on that. I was focused on the stuff that happened after the heartstrings, like the fleet of, uh, of uh, what they're, what are they? The big ones. Um, Star the, Stars. Yeah. 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 Um, like, the fleet of those and then um you know the really let's be real it was the lightsaber the lightsaber at the end like Like, i felt like i felt like a jilted lover and like they were trying to like win me back with chocolates and roses without really sincerely apologizing for what Please, baby, 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 please. Come right. Back to me. It's like, look, here's some roses. Oh, here's some roses. A, a lightsaber fight. Here's some chocolates. <laughs> oh, by the way, here's C3PO being emotional about right. seeing his friends for the last time. Here's, um, here's some Yoda and Obi Wan. Have fun. Here, let me turn on some Sade. Here's the Yoda <laughs> and Obi Wan. Like, do you want a back rub? Here's a, is, here's Billy D. Williams. Like, is this all consensual, yeah. baby? <laughs> right. Exactly. So. I just I just looked at it as them trying their hardest to win us back with with visuals rather than telling me anything about the movie, which I still have no idea what the plot of this movie is. That final trailer told you nothing about what this movie is going to be about, other than maybe the emperor's in there. Which I, by the way, I think that was a silly move on their part. Like, like yeah, that could have been a big wow. That would have been like the biggest wow I think ever. And they're like, let's let's just spoil it now. <laughs> Unless yeah. Ray is the emperor and travels back in time and gets a sex change. Oh my god. Oh god, if that happens. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Ben, but you gotta think that that would be a better story than probably what's going to happen. Ben, what do you what do you feel about this whole thing? <laughs> uh <laughs> all right. Lynette, you did this to yourself by bringing Star Wars into this. Okay, multiple I know, things. I know. Multiple things. Chris, they could have done this so much better. They could have had teased the Emperor at the end of the last movie. They could have had Rey run off with Kylo at the end of the last movie. They could have had Kylo join the Rebels at the end of the last movie. They could have had so many cliffhanger opportunities that got me fired up for this, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Instead, they have to write the ship with this last movie, and that's why it's running in at two hours and 42 minutes. Uh, because they're just trying to blank the last movie out of existence. So, uh, that being said, there was one article I didn't bring up this week, and I'm so glad you brought this up, Lynette. Oh, God. What did I get myself into? There is a theory, and, you know, speaking about playing with your emotions and being a jilted lover, that Hayden Christensen was spotted on the set. No. And Hayden Christensen was spotted on the uh, Galaxy's Edge, uh, uh, whatever you call it, theme park, too. And there's some theories out that Hayden Christensen is in the next Star Wars movie. No, no, no. He's the worst. To tie those three awful movies and these last two awful movies all together to surround the original trilogy with utter shit. (laughs) I... (laughs) I can't watch Cardboard Man again. I can't do it. Oh, and you know what? Chris, you, you know, you were talking about behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. Hayden Christensen or, or uh, behind the scenes actors and how like some some of them are like tools and stuff. Hayden, listen, Hayden Christensen seems like the nicest man ever. He just seems very nice. Does he though? He's, he lost Reese Witherspoon. I, well, he's taking selfies with little kids. He just seems like a good dude. 
uh, but acting is not his no profession he should be in i don't know oh. maybe he's, maybe he's <laughs> good at like nope. something else like crafting things i don't know <laughs> i just got hayden christensen confused with ryan Philippe. so oh. that should tell you how memorable he is <laughs> cardboard man <clears throat> good lord Oh, what did you, I just, did you I think... study under uh, Stanislavski or Uta Hagen? No, no, cardboard. I uh, studied <laughs> under cardboard school of acting. <laughs> the Matthew Broderick school of acting. You. There you go. Oh, oh, oh shots yeah. fired, Chris. Shots oh, fired. Oh, God, Matthew Broderick. Here's another I'm gonna one. I'm going to tell Matthew Broderick. I'm gonna tell wow. Him. Matthew Broderick. Oh, God. Have you seen he him on stage like recently? No. Oh, I mean, talk about. I mean, maybe maybe there is something wrong with him, and I, I feel bad if there is. But like, how does Ferris Bueller <laughs> lose all charisma? Um, I've now seen him in multiple stage shows, movies. I mean, he's just he's lost it. He's lost his edge. And is it uh, possible that SPJ just drained it out of him so that probably. she could stay light and beautiful forever? I mean, he's about to do California Suite, where he's supposed to play like six different characters. I'm like, really? Matthew Broderick is going to play six different characters? Okay. Oh, probably, he's going to probably DM me now. Be <laughs> like, screw you, Chris. <laughs> ah, damn it. All right. <laughs> well, you just equated. <laughs> wait, you just equated Matthew Broderick to Hayden Christensen. That's out oh, of they're control. they're they're one. Of the, I mean, I think there was a mentor mentee relationship there. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like Palpatine and Ray or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. I think I think Matthew Broderick was like, look here, Hayden. I think you're bringing too much heat in this trilogy. You got you got to people don't want they don't want emotion. <laughs> they want they want stillness. They want wood. Yeah, pull it back. Pull, pull it, it back, back, buddy. Pull it all the way back. I hate sand. It's so coarse. Don't even <laughs> blink, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, you died. I'm so sad. <laughs> your mom's dead? Just, just you know, don't even react to it. If you're not Anime, winning, you're she's me. dead. Damn. <laughs> I, think, I think the best way to react to telling your loved one that you just slaughtered, like, an entire camp of women and children is just to throw a temper tantrum. Like, do that. Um, yeah. Oh God. How about not a moat when you're about to slaughter a room full of Padawans? Just yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Wait a minute. That might be the one time. I'll give them that. That might be the one time you don't emote. That you want to because... disassociate. All right. 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 That's the one time. But afterwards, he kills afterwards. a lot of kids. He kills a lot of kids in this trilogy. In that trilogy. There's a lot of, a lot of, of young women. A lot of kids die in that first trilogy. That's not good. But um, no, it's... it's a cautionary tale for children. It's don't true. mess yeah. with your Jedi don't master. Don't, oh. Jedi. don't be a Jedi. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. All right, Ben, what do you got for YouTube and my friend? All right. Let's switch it up to a <laughs> uh, geeky universe that's doing good. Uh, not a lot of uh, Star Trek love on this show. We're going to get into uh, a couple videos. This first video is by E.C. Henry. It's called uh, The Enterprise is Insanely Huge. And um, it's eight minutes and five seconds. And he goes into the actual scale of the Enterprise Class D from Star Trek The Next Generation and how they had a thousand crew members plus their families on this crazy large ship. And he goes through how huge, how many meters, square cubic meters (laughs) that the Enterprise would be and how hollow it would look. And actually how the show kind of presented that because when you see – a crew member walking through a hallway, there's not a lot of traffic. So it's, it. but his kind of comments are like, that wouldn't be good in space either. You should want to be like a mall, like surrounded by people. So you don't feel isolated in space. So that was really cool. And then um, 
there's another Star Trek video that came up. I was following a vine. It's by Resurre- Resurrected Starships. That Resurrected Starships. Uh, it's eight minutes and ten seconds, and it's called "Is the Original Enterprise Big Enough?" Analysis. Uh, so check those out. They get into actually square footage, and they talk about canon and the models and specs that are in the movies and in the backgrounds. A lot of people have done a lot of nerdy work out there on YouTube, so check these out. And the guy actually makes a point that there's a lot of analysis on online about how big these ships are, but not a lot of analysis on how big uh, actual um, uh, battleships are, like naval battleships are. Like, <laughs> there's no information on the internet about those, but, you know, the Enterprise, you could follow, like, you know, where, like, you know, the bridges and all those stuff. So That cool makes stuff. absolute sense to me. Why would you why would you want to put our naval ship sizes and parameters and specs on the internet? Exactly. Are you a te- are you a terrorist? Exactly. <laughs> well, and if you put like, well, are these guys Ferengi? You ever ask them yourself that or Klingon? Oh, good point. They could be lying to us about the size and the scope. Yeah, traders of the Federation. <laughs> mm, I hate Fed trades. <laughs> All right. That was it. That was it? That's all you got? That's all I got. Well, you, speaking of, you know, there was a great site. I did a whole Star Trek theme wedding once. I had decorated for it. And uh, I got to put uh, these really cool um, designs as the table. So each table was a different Star Trek ship. It was pretty cool. And it was awesome. So. That is awesome. I know. It was fun. Oh. Yeah, I just thought, you know, we were talking a lot about Star Wars and uh, not enough about Star Trek on this podcast. That's true, because I'm always, I'm a little self-conscious about my Star Trek knowledge. It's it's not something that I, uh, like, I'm not as nerdy with as others. So I'm just like, okay, did I get it right? Is it a phaser or a stun gun? No, <laughs> I know that. I know it's a phaser. Um, <laughs> is Chris ready to tell us his his youtubing i don't know I, I, I did we lose him i don't know it says that he's just muted not that he's gone oh i'm sorry i i was talking this entire time and forgot that i had muted my microphone <laughs> so, um, you know we are more fascinating than anything you could say it's fine you know you, you, you definitely i'm glad i'm glad i was muted because i was saying some negative thing no i'm kidding um <laughs> No, so for my two picks yes. for YouTube in this week, um, I, I really just have uh, a couple that I thought were great. First of all, we talked a little bit about Dolomite is my name uh, yeah. last week. Phenomenal. Lynn, did you get a chance to watch it since then? No. Oh, you're kidding oh. me. Oh. oh. <laughs> um, it's okay. Uh, it's okay. Watch Letter Kenny instead. It's fine. Watch it. Yeah, exactly. But if you love the movie like you and I, Ben and I did, um, on Netflix, on their YouTube channel, they released a 23-minute video where it's just the cast talking about the movie. So it's like Eddie oh, Murphy. No way. Yep. So it's Eddie Murphy, um, Wesley Snipes, um, you know, Keegan-Michael. I mean, it is freaking hilarious because um, they're just – they're talking about, you know, obviously Rudy Ray Moore and, like, you know, they're – reverence for this guy and stuff like that it's great it's like 23 minutes it's perfect they could have made it two hours and i would have watched that you know as well so 
Um, definitely get a chance. It's on Netflix's YouTube channel, so definitely get a chance oh, to watch great. that. Is uh, um, Craig Robinson on there too? Yep, he's on there too. Oh. So, yeah. it's, oh, the it's cast just, is it's so great. awesome. The cast is amazing. So yeah, no, it was great. Uh, another great video. Um, some genius out there took the final battle scene from the Avengers Endgame where all the portals are opening up. And by the way, spoiler if anybody hasn't seen Endgame yet. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, where all the yeah. portals are opening up. Um, Chris, I haven't seen it yet. Don't do that. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> just a billion of us. <laughs> just a billion of us. Um, but someone decided to add in like characters from other movies entering through portals, and it's priceless. It's <laughs> like like uh, just a couple. Like They put in some Terminators in there. <laughs> um, Bruce Campbell from Army of Darkness. No from one of the portals. Like um, I think the, the 300 Spartans from 300 come through. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's well put together. Uh, I think I think the video is called um, uh, "Avengers Endgame Battle Scene," but with everyone. I think that's the actual title. <laughs> <laughs> but with everyone. Um, oh, like Lord of the Rings, like you know that, that entire like Return of the King situation. So uh, yeah, that's a that's a really really good one uh, to watch. Thanos shall so, not pass. There it is. You go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah no awesome on that end and then um and then i just saw the trailer for bad boys for life bad boys 3 which i didn't i heard about I, this yeah i don't i i it's i don't i mean i'll ask you both this have you ever been lukewarm on a trailer and then been like pleasantly surprised about the movie like the the, the trailer did not get you hyped for this movie and then when you saw the movie, you're like, oh, my God, I was completely oh, wrong. What I, happened? I, I totally have an answer. Totally have an answer. Uh-huh. You ready for this? Hit, hit me. Lukewarm on the movie Den of Thieves trailer. Okay. And then the rewatchables to Den of Thieves. Absolutely love that movie. Absolutely love the Benny Hanna scene. Just an amazing movie. <laughs> Just an absolute, like, amazing fucking guy action movie. Wow. That, yeah. I'm all in on Den of Thieves. <laughs> there, well, you're you're better than I because I can't remember ever like being lukewarm on a trailer, and then being like, "Oh my god, movie was incredible." So yeah, and then and that's how I feel about Bad Boys for Life. Ooh, uh, that's not a good sign I, about comedy yeah. action movie though. Like I just, it looks like Martin Lawrence shouldn't be doing action movies at this point. Like he's in. His, what has he been doing? <laughs> yeah, first of all, what's he been doing? He's pushing sixty. Um, he doesn't need. He doesn't need to be doing. Wow, this. he's almost sixty. He's almost sixty. So well, we're old. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Live at the Apollo was uh, thirty-five years ago or something. <laughs> Martin Lawrence. <laughs> like you know, Will Smith. He looks fine. Like he he looks yeah. like he can still do action film. And that's because he's um, a vampire. Right. But he yeah. pays people to suck their blood or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He, Paul Rudd, and Pharrell. They're all in the same cult. Oh, you ever seen that old picture of Pharrell? That's so weird. (laughs) There's like an old, like, dude from, like, 1850s. It's Pharrell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I gotta look that up. So, um, all right. Well, that's gonna wrap it up for this week. What a great podcast this week. Oh, my God. Hot takes left and right. That's right. That'll do. Fighting That'll do, Squirrely Dan. That'll do. There you go. There you go. Um, Lynette. Real yes. quick, where can people find you on social media? Eh, they can find me on Facebook. I think it's under Ellen Lynette Williams because I like to use full names 
as if I'm English, which I'm not, but I am. Um, and then they can find me on Instagram under FuzzWiki, F-U-Z-W-I-C-K-E. Nice. Do you have anything coming up that you want to plug or anything like that? Or uh, No, because I still have to catch up with you guys with all this binge watching. <laughs> yeah, you do. Get on that. Get on that. Oh, my gosh. Ben, how about you, my man? What's coming up? I don't know if I noticed or mentioned it last uh, week, but I finally finished up a script of a short film that I'm going to produce and shoot. Ooh. I need some actors and production people. Got a couple of people in mind for cast. Um, it's a little kind of small film, probably about 10, 15 minutes long. Just want to do it and put it on YouTube. It's something that I've just been itching at, and it's in script format. It was kind of like a exercise in screenwriting format so it's all formatted correctly with you know the um scene descriptions over to the left and the dialogue in the middle but i just kind of wanted to do that it's going to be a 10 to 15 minute short film i got a couple buddies we're going to shoot it really quick and dirty we're going to film it in black and white clerk style and uh that should be coming out in hopefully a couple months nice oh my god can't wait for that that's awesome that's awesome and where can people find you on social media uh just uh youtube uh Live nude swearing comes right up and all of the videos that I like and all the things that I produce are on there. So check that out. Awesome. And folks, um, you can listen to this podcast and all of our podcasts on the onstage blog podcast network. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, Google podcast, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. So definitely hit us up. Um, and we've got some new podcasts that are coming out soon that I can't talk about just yet because, Ooh, you know, the, the ink on the ink on the contract, so to speak, have not been dried yet. So I don't want to I don't want to jinx anything. But, you know, we've got some pretty interesting topics coming down the pike. Uh, some new episodes of the movie musical Shakedown coming down um, soon. So, yeah, just keep keep checking for updates. We're trying to update the network um, a couple times a week. So this way you get some new content um, every week. So, hey, Chris, but, Chris. Really quick, yeah. Um, yeah. when's Disney going to buy Onstage Blog so I can quit my awful job? <laughs> I mean, just kidding. <laughs> I love my job. Love my job. <laughs> Aren't you, you like know, saving lives or something? Yes, I, I love my job. Just kidding. It would be so much easier to just sit in my basement and podcast all day. Though. Right. Um, the, the offer's out there. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not asking for much. I mean... <laughs> Just give me, well, just give me some, some, some gift cards. Gift cards to Disney. No, That's all I need. No, you need more than that. I don't like want David Buster's tokens. <laughs> <laughs> I want to pay give my mortgage. $25 gift card to the Disney store in the mall. I'd, I'd be <laughs> happy right, with I'm, that. I'm ready to quit my job. Ready to quit my job for that. All right. Uh, I love it. Well, folks, thanks so much for this, this week. I really appreciate it. Uh, and we will see you next week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. <laughs>